0: What is good, futurist? It's Tuesday. It's Michael Zakhand here, and you're listening to Our Future. It's a business podcast for young, curious business leaders or from the perspective of a 20 year old college student. I chat with founders and executives at the helm of the most exciting, companies and startups diving deep into the hottest industry trends you're going to want to know about and the secrets to absolutely crushing it in the business world. I want to connect with you guys more, shout you out, get all of you listeners involved. My number is 408-507-2749. Shoot me a text. Let's talk about business. Critique me. Let's talk. I want to get to know you better. My number is also linked in the podcast description. I am super hyped to bring on Chris Ruder, founder and CEO of Spikeball, the iconic round net game that has surged to stardom in the world of sports. It pits two players against two for a dynamic experience. It's brought millions of people together. And if you haven't played it, it's kind of like volleyball. had a baby with Foursquare. I personally love Spikeball. It's one of the favorite activities that I do with my friends at the beach or just in the backyard. Chris tells an awesome story about launching a new sport and a new company and how it was actually just a side hustle for five years. Hope you guys enjoy. When you were my age, when you were 20, did you envision yourself being a CEO? Did you see yourself being a founder? Were you a a business guy? Like, was, was that even in your mind? I fell in love with photography, uh, specifically like documentary photography,
1: and the dream job was uh, National Geographic, um, maybe working for a magazine, something where I could do in-depth stories. My first job out of college, I sort of had my first two. One was a, uh worked in a camera store here in Chicago, uh, literally a retail store, so people drop off their film, and I was the guy that standing behind the counter would process it, or if they want to buy a camera, I'd help with that. Uh, I'd ride my bike to and from that job every day. And on that bike ride, um, I would rode by this, uh, it's like this dusty old yard, almost like a parking lot, but it was a, a, a boat yard and met this guy that was working on uh, wooden boats. Um, and I just thought that was pretty cool. And I was like, oh, maybe this guy could become a photo subject of mine. I did the photo job at day and the boat job at night. And the boat job was basically me. Sitting under a hundred-year-old boat, scraping lead paint off it, getting—I don't know—eight bucks an hour or something like that. Long answer to your question,
0: but not much business uh, in that story. Pat wrote me a lengthy email that read something like a novel, but <laughs> he went into the early days and and you guys were you guys so you guys were on the beach in Hawaii, and this was before Spikeball was what it was. It wasn't even mainstream; you couldn't even buy it. You guys, you were just like, oh, Chris is going to be the president. We're going to we're going to make this big. Was that was that how it went down? Was that the moment? No. So maybe just a little bit of background for your listeners that may not know the story. So
1: Spikeball was originally launched in, I think, 1989 or something like that. Um, I was like 14 at the time. Um, and Pat, who's one of the co-founders, uh, he and his, Pat actually has 10 siblings. So there's literally 11 kids in his family. Um, so anytime they buy one thing, they have to buy a couple just to make sure that, you know, the whole family's, and somehow somebody in the family stumbled on Spikeball in a toy store or something like that. And they bought a couple, brought it back to the neighborhood and, you know, Pat's three years older than me and he was good friends with my older brother. Uh, so they would play a decent amount, but I was kind of the annoying younger brother. So I wasn't really allowed to play with them back then. Yeah. Yeah. I um, to <laughs> so they played a bunch, but that, you know, what, what little we understood the company or Spikeball launched in 89 and it was dead by 91. Pat, his twin brother, me, my now wife, my brother and his wife, we all went on a trip to Hawaii, to Kauai nice. together. And that was Kauai is amazing. Yeah, that was 2003. Uh, so the product had been dead for, I don't know, what, 10 plus years by then. And Tim and Pat brought this beat up old Spikeball sec, covered in duct tape, still functional, but... Um, and we played nice. for, I don't know, five days straight. And it was me and my brother versus Tim and Pat. So just this awesome brother rivalry. We, of course, dominated them um, and <laughs> just had an absolute blast. And that's where I really first got the bug for it. Uh, I'd played a little bit in the past, and, but you know my brother Matt and I were playing together and just having so much fun. It was bringing us closer together. Um, and people would stop and ask us about it. And
0: Yeah, where can I buy it? Well, you can't. What's that
1: play, What's that game? How do you play? And where play it, can I get, can I get it? it? And yeah, we couldn't answer it. And that happened enough times, you know, on that trip and afterwards, you know, uh, Pat and the rest of us would start sentences with like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we like brought this thing back to life? Um, and we never did anything. We just kind of talked about it. Um, Pat, I think actually did email uh, the guy that invented it a couple of times, but I don't think their right, conversation the- went far. Um, and then I said, you know, I'm going to go ahead and uh, talk to some attorneys and see if we can legally do this. And it and you could. Attorney,
0: you, they said yeah, yes. There
1: was, yeah, there was no, there never was a patent, um, and the trademark which protected the name Spikeball had been expired for God knows how many years. Yeah. So they, said, yeah, you can just file for the trademark and
0: basically do what you want. At first, Spikeball was just your your evening gig. It was it was something you did on the side what was your day job and when was that moment where you were like wow i'm actually going to invest my full energy and time in this when was that moment when you were just like this is my full-time job now yeah
1: so we incorporated in 2007 and then actually went into business started selling our sold our first spike ball set in june of 2008 and i believe at 2008 Xbox division of microsoft um oh yeah really advertisements for them so actually so, ads that actually showed up inside the game. So if you're playing a you know Forza and you drive past a Coke billboard. I've never been much of a gamer, but you know the Xbox brand is pretty cool. Um, but I had no love for it. And I, you know, like most of my sort of corporate jobs, um, I did well at it, but I didn't, you know, it was a nine to five job, and i I wasn't passionate about it and so I'd do that a day, I'd come home, hang out with my wife and kids. They'd go to bed around 8 or 9 and then Spikeball work would begin and it's my basement was our first quote warehouse. So I'd, I don't know, 7, 800 sets down there mm-hmm. and usually around midnight or so. It's so when I'd do shipping, so I'd literally go down to the basement, grab one, maybe two boxes. And all sales were online, it was all 100% online. spikeball.com. Um, for those first five years, I think we I forget when we went on Amazon. It might have been year four or something like that. Is there, is there
0: a reason why you waited to go um, on Amazon or was it not as big I, as it was? I mean, today wasn't, I don't think it was easy for an independent seller to sell
1: back then, like just getting on and a lot of yeah. it was I just didn't have time. I didn't know. you know, I think by year three, started getting emails from retailers like brick and mortar like little mom and pop sporting goods stores and toy yeah. stores and they're all asking if they can carry the product and I would politely I'd kind of say thanks but no thanks. I had no idea how retail worked, um, how pricing and who paid for shipping and just all that stuff. So and I didn't have time to figure it out. I'm just one guy, I got this day job. I've got, you know, babies at home and just all sorts of stuff. And eventually I said yes to one. And I said, I'll, I'll sell to you. And it was actually um, uh, Darien Sports Shop in Darien, Connecticut. And I said yes to them because that was the sporting goods store my wife went to growing up. So when I recognized the store name, I was like, yeah, my wife's actually from there. I've, I've actually been in your store. Um, I don't know the first thing about wholesale, but if you teach me, I'm more than happy to sell to you. Um, and she did. And she was super cool. And there's a great customer to this day. And then I was able to start saying yes to, to more and more stores. Having those first five years, essentially being hundred percent e-commerce, um, that gave us the time for me actually to figure out just who the customer is, what are they into? Um, and even if we had gone into sports authority or dicks or whomever on day one, I think we would have failed because nobody would have known what the heck the product is. They would have looked at it and said, what's this trampoline thing like? Um so having distribution is one thing but actually having people know what the product is is wildly different and actually and know so they how to use it. it.
0: Right yes. so you, I don't think this could have gone any other way than slowly building it up over time and then foot on the gas once there is that enough evangelists of the product. So when was as I said, like when was that moment when did you hang up the job at Xbox and say I am Spikeball
1: Yep. So I left the Xbox job, briefly went to this like startup that was, I don't know, nine or 10 months. Then I went to Live Nation. You know, they own Ticketmaster and all those jobs are basically advertising sales jobs. Um, So Live Nation was my last job. I quit that in, uh, I believe, October 2013.
0: October 2013 is when I made the transition. And then Shark Tech. What, what prompted you to, 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 to do that? Was it the advertising? Was it the actually wanting investment? What, what was it? We were growing over 100% nearly every year. So 2008
1: was the first year we were in business. We did $10,882. So tiny, right? Uh, 2013, uh, we finished at about $1.5 So by the time wow. a lot of people think, they think like Shark Tank, once you hit that, then you guys started growing like crazy. Exporting Goods called us and said we'd like to carry your product before we were on Shark Tank. What was it like being on the the set of Shark Tank? How was that? It was it was incredible. You know, and it, it's it you know that was we aired in May of 2015, and we still get reruns to this day. So it's this gift that just keeps giving. Um, we filmed it, however, in October of 2014, something like that. Uh, So October 2014, we filmed, but it doesn't air until like eight months later. So after you film, as you're leaving the set, the producers like, you know, they shake your hand. They say, thanks for coming. And whether you get a deal or not, they tell you if your episode is going to air, we'll call you two weeks before it airs. And if we never call you, it's just never going to air. And if we haven't called you by the end of the season, uh, you're not going to get a call because, you know, we don't go cross season. So we did a deal with Damon John on the show. Okay. Um, I forget but he was exactly at he, what. Was,
0: he was first at 25%.
1: Yeah, he wanted to go high. I forget what I started with. I think it was like 10% for 500 grand or something. I, th- I think I gave his evaluation of like 5 million you wanted something to, like yeah, that. And
0: you wanted 15% for 500, but what did he end up giving you guys? I think we agreed at 20, maybe. Okay.
1: Yeah, so basically what happens on the show is neither side is legally bound. It's a handshake. So I had every intention of closing the deal. I think he did as well when we, when we were on the show, but you know, it's a bizarre thing. I, I I stood in front of the sharks for maybe 45 minutes, which from what I understand is about average, uh, doing the pitch and answering questions and all that. Um, but you know, this is, it's not like I'm a serial entrepreneur and I've created 15 companies. And if this one doesn't work, I, I've got another one to fall back on. Like this, I, this is my baby and I'm, you know, I want to protect it. And, I'm getting ready yeah. to sell a significant chunk of it to more or less a complete stranger. And I've only spoken with this person for 45 minutes. Like, that's bizarro world. Um, so yeah. I'm glad we did it. But I talked to Damon a couple times after the show and learned that his main interest is in licensing. So he said, Chris, I've got friends at Marvel Comics. Let's make a Spider-Man branded spikeball set. And I'm like, eh, I, I want to build our own brand. You know, the mission of the company is to create the next great global sport. And you know, I thought when I did the deal with him on the show, I thought that I was going to get access to the Damon John that created FUBU. You know, an amazing consumer brand and right. built an amazing thing there. And he just didn't seem to have an interest there. And we tried mm-hmm. a few other ideas. Nothing clicked. And. We never officially called the deal off. It's kind of funny, it was kind of like how some relationships go. You never, you never officially break up. you just kind of stop yeah. calling each other. Yeah um, so that's if that's- the,
0: the passion the passion wasn't there he's not the <laughs> yeah. right investor. The, any investor has to be as yeah. as passionate about your goal as as, as you are. Yeah. So I think he saw
1: it as a plastic net and a rubber ball and not as this community, this brand, this movement. This, you know, we're trying to legitimately create a new sport. It was a great experience. I, anybody that asked, I, I encourage them to do it. Uh,
0: but, um, awesome. And it
1: was fine that the deal didn't close. We didn't necessarily need the money. It would have been nice to have, but we didn't need it.
0: And you guys were already growing so fast, but was there another turning point between 2015 being on the show and now where things started to increase even more? Or Are you guys still on the same trajectory as as always? We're still growing like crazy.
1: Um, it's been, you know, and even as big as Shark Tank was, you know, that was a good size spike, but it's been a million turns of the flywheel. So, you know, Going into Dick's Sporting Goods, getting on Shark Tank, um, during the uh, Rio Olympics, Ryan Seacrest started talking about how Olympians have been bringing spike ball sets to the Olympic Village. And on his main NBC coverage, they show like a clip of people playing. There have been countless professional athletes and uh, movie stars that have been in tabloids playing spike ball. Um, just the last few weeks, if you look at the NBA bubble, um, it's been insane how many people have brought sets down there. The bubble, awesome. the WNBA bubble, the NHL. Um, Mark Cuban actually this is kind of funny. He's been interviewed a couple of times over the last year or two, and they've been asking him, "What's the one deal on Shark Tank that got away? What's the one that you wish you would have done?" Spike ball, um, and he says Spike ball every time. So,
0: are you? So you 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 seem to put forth this philosophy that like your customers can be your best salespeople. Could you bring me with you on that? Like if you can give Absolutely. them a great product, they will sell it for you. Should all and companies think a, like that? They,
1: I think they should, but we're in a unique position in that. And I guess let's narrow it down to like consumer brands. Um, we're in a unique position in that one person buys our product. They have to go find three people to actually use it. So there's a viral element just built in the product in and of itself. And then when those four people actually use it, they're most likely going to be in some public area. Is that a beach, a public park, et cetera. So strangers will be walking by and they're going to stop and look and say, what's that weird trampoline game? You know, just like I experienced in Hawaii years ago. um, I got a feeling the majority of our customers are experiencing that as well. And Just fanning those flames, like how can we just get people playing more games? I don't want us to become the company that becomes the best at optimizing Facebook advertising or Instagram ads or whatever. I want us to figure out how can we develop and maintain and grow a crazy tight relationship with the players so we can make sure that we're building stuff that they like. Um, And as long as they're the ones more or less leading the charge, then we're in good shape like you know we just came out with what we call spike bright which is an accessory that you basically snap on top of your net that lights up so you can play at night it's got an led ball in or an led light inside the ball so you can play at night that's so sick we have been seeing on instagram people posting photos and just on ever on spike ball app etc people are wrapping their spike
0: ball nets in christmas tree lights you're bringing innovation out of this community ecosystem as well and what, what does that community mean to you? That this has always been something that has revolved around community, but now it's so big. Like, what is what does that mean to you every day? Just hearing this, I mean, nothing could mean more. Like, you know, a lot of people look at
1: us and they're like, oh, you guys are selling a rubber ball and a plastic net and you're successful. That's great. Well, the rubber ball and plastic net, yes, that's the physical thing, but all of just the the goodness surrounding it. So there's literally people getting spike ball tattoos. That's how serious some people are taking this. We've had, I can't tell you how many people have met their spouse playing. So spike ball has been a part of numerous weddings. Um, We've seen newborn children that are literally one hour old, You know, kind of wrapped up looking like a little burrito, still in the delivery room. And there's a spike ball net on the floor and the baby is sitting on the net. People are bringing Spikeball to some of my life's most important moments. There is no higher compliment than that. It is not just a rubber ball and a plastic net.
0: My next question is What is the future of Spikeball? Is it that on the smartphone, being able to connect with other people in your area through the Spikeball app? Is what other, I mean, you do the lighted sets. Is there any other innovations you guys have planned? Like, what is the future?
1: Yeah. Big one. International is growing like crazy for us right now. So, you know, we were actually supposed to hold our first ever world championship in Belgium over Labor Day, you know, in what, two weeks, one week. Um, we had to yeah. cancel it due to COVID, but we were I think we had over two dozen countries registered or something like that before we had to pull the plug. Um, so build taking whatever steps are necessary to building a legitimate global sport is what we're doing. Even though ninety nine percent of the world that's actually heard of us, they think we're just kind of this fun backyard game, that's a good first step. But how can we get them to take a second step and actually start competing and then eventually coming to tournaments and you know who knows where it's going to go from
0: there? Do but. you do you is there like an Olympic angle that you you want to see in your lifetime? It would be incredible. It's not an explicit goal of ours, but we
1: have had a decent amount of conversations internally and externally. And we're like, what, what steps would need to be taken? I mean, breakdancing is a part of the Olympics. I think it's going to be a legitimate. Is Olympics it actually 20? 2020, yes. In 2024, I think I saw ultimate Frisbee, which I have nothing but respect for them. They've also been officially recognized by the USOC or maybe it was the IOC.
0: Looking back on this, this journey you've been on, Like, what is your career advice to a young person going out into the world?
1: My perspective is obviously very skewed in that I graduated from college over 20 years ago. Um, I've only, I've started one company and I did that 12 years ago. But the general trend I see that I love that wasn't available when I was graduating was, you know, some call it the gig economy or just being able to just, start a business is so much easier today than it was even five years ago, let alone 20 years ago. And that business may eventually grow into be a full-time job, or maybe it's something that brings in just your spending money that you can have some fun with. Um, but if I look at what I've done with Spikeball, one, the one thing I, I would change, I don't know if this would have helped or hurt, um, those couple of years that we spent just talking about like, wouldn't it be cool if dot, 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 we did nothing. Um, if we would, you know, in 2003 when we went to Hawaii, if I would have actually taken action then, um, the company would have started four years earlier, and um, you know maybe life would have been fantastic. Or who knows? Maybe it actually would have failed, and you know it would have been back to the day job. But so many people talk about doing something, but few actually do. If it fails, be smart enough in that you know you're not risking everything where you're going to be on the street if it fails. Like dip your toe in the
0: water and just see. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Chris Reuter, CEO of Spikeball. They are absolutely killing it. And I definitely want to see Spikeball at the Olympics sometime soon. Hope you guys enjoyed tuning in today. Be with you again on Thursday. Stay frosty. Stay safe.